Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Football Social Daily. If indeed you are coming back, if that's the case, you know exactly what is in store over the next 40 to 50 minutes. If it's your first time, however, well, I'm Jim Salverson and this is your one-stop podcast for everything Premier League. Every day there is a brand new show looking at everything that has happened and might happen in the English top flight over the last and the next 24 hours. You better make sure you've subscribed to this podcast because the only thing more relentless than the games right now is this show coming at you every single day of the week. Today on the podcast, I've got Ian Brennan with me. How you doing, Ian? Hi, I'm good. Yes, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, Tar. And Matt Pidd as well on the other side. How you doing, Matt? All right, Jim. Thank you, pal. We're going to be talking Manchester City today into the quarterfinals of the Champions League, which is traditionally after the last few seasons under Pep Guardiola where they've come unstuck. But after last night's win over Borussia Mönchengladbach, could this be the year that Manchester City lift the Champions League? As for Chelsea, well, they aim to join them in the last eight tonight as they face Atletico Madrid two of the meanest defences in Europe going head-to-head in the Champions League. Doesn't feel like it's going to be a goal fest. And it is Wednesday, so it's AQA day. Three of your football-flavoured questions at the end of the podcast coming up. Today, they're covering off England injuries, Newcastle's crisis, and a little bit of crystal ball gazing as well about next year's Premier League campaign. So that is all coming up towards the end of the podcast. But first, let's talk about Manchester City. Manchester City 2, Borussia Mönchengladbach 0. That means 4-0 on aggregate. A pretty comfortable win, Matt. And City now, and this is a weird place to start when we should be talking about the game, but I can't help thinking, quarterfinals of the Champions League, they've won the League Cup, they've pretty much got the league sewn up. They're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. It feels like this might be a genuine opportunity for Manchester City to win a quadruple, doesn't it? 
Well, Jim's just annoyed a lot of Spurs fans because we haven't actually won the League Cup yet. We don't play it till April. <laughs> oh, do you know what? It's good as one. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we, we Spurs records in league um, in finals even, yeah. So maybe, yeah, that could be the case. But um, yeah, um, um, Zinchenko was um, on an interview with BT Sports last night and was talking about the quadruple and he was talking it up. And you just know for the fact, um, as soon as Pep Guardiola knows that's gone out, he's gone and... Um, give me a little bit of an ear bashing in the dressing room to basically just like, you know, let's not talk about that, boys. Let's talk about our next game. And glad back last night. Look, even though they'd lost their, their last six games, there was um, opposition in front of us that we had to go and beat, and we did. And there was no nerves for me last night for the first time in a long time when it comes to a, a Champions League game. Um, we had it sewn up within 20 minutes. Lovely goal by De Bruyne. And then, um, obviously, Gundogan wrapped it up. But the thing that impressed me the most about Gundogan's goal was the way Foden took the ball from Stones in the midfield and just glided through and then just placed it perfectly in front of him. Um, Inch-perfect pass, lovely weight on it. And Foden this season has had um, 20 goal contributions in 30 appearances. So, you know, Gareth Southgate, if you're listening to this, that should just tell you exactly, you know, <laughs> what you need to know about putting him in your midfield. He needs to start for me. I think he just gives you that, that diversity in your midfield that you need. Um, he's a hard worker on and off the ball. He can score, he can assist. I think it's um, a foregone conclusion whether he starts in the Euros. Um, it was just, yeah, a thoroughly professional performance. Stones was solid, as usual. You know, he's another one that's going to get a call-up for me and needs to get a call-up based on his form. And Gundogan putting the ball in the net, you know, for the fifteenth time this season. Mm. He's City's top scorer, but he's also the top scoring German player in the top five European leagues. So that's a, that's a good stat there. We reached over hundred goals in our um, eight consecutive season, which isn't bad either, you know. And you know the way we've been playing in the Champions League, we've not been conceding goals. We've not conceded a goal now for over seven hundred minutes. Which um, yeah, here's one for you, Ian. It's the second longest run <laughs> in the tournament, and we need to go another five hours to match Arsenal in 2006 on their run to the final. So yeah, it's going good in Europe it's at the moment. Stats. Yeah, stat, I, I, stat I've had to come. I've had to come in with the stats early, boys. I've had to come in because I know you, I know it. I know Ian's going to go in with this, so I thought I'm going to get mine in there. Prepare <laughs> yourself on this podcast for a few stats. You have to be, yeah, especially. Um, but yeah, City in Europe at the moment, it just seems to be. Um, we just we just have this swagger about us. Maybe it's mm. because we we know the Premier League is pretty much already sewn up, and we're we're just um, we're putting our our performances in that now because we know City's owners desperate for that trophy. Guardiola will be desperate for that trophy. The players will be desperate for that trophy to get that um, that off the back that they've never won it. So yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see in the, who we get in the next tie. Obviously, there's no easy teams in it. You know, from the knockout stages onwards, and there's a, there's a couple of teams that you'd like to avoid, but you know, whoever whoever's in front of us, bring them on. I say. Well, there's no bad state, bad teams in the Champions League, as you say. When you get to the knockouts, they're all teams that have earned their place there. And you could you could say that last night could have been a different story if Munchen Gladbach had taken their chances because they did have a couple of half chances throughout the game. But for me, it never looked in doubt, Ian. It never really looked like City were going to do anything else other than cruise to victory in that match. Yeah, of course, um, you're always going to get chances. I think it doesn't. Well, unless unless of course you're playing against Newcastle, in which case you can be fairly sure at the moment that they're not going to have a go. But we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> Boom. Um, but um, but yeah, Munch and Gladbach did have some some half chances, which maybe could have changed it. But of course, Man City were already two 0 up. Um, going into the tie 
anyway. So, um, you know, it was a convincing win in the end. That said, Man City missed more chances than, than Borussia did. The, the, you know, this game could have been at easily five or, or six when you look at the, the chances that were not missed but were saved by the uh, the keeper. I think they, their keeper had a, a really good game and, and certainly kept that scoreline um, a little bit more respectable because if, if they'd had a, um, a, a lesser goalkeeper or a goalkeeper having a, a worse day, I think it could have been uh, you know, a much bigger score. But yeah, um, Man City in control right from the off. And say they started the match 2-0 up, that surely must have uh, eased the nerves a, a little bit. And um, yeah, they're romping through. And um, my stat, here it is, um, Man City have conceded only once in eight Champions League matches this season, which makes them the steadiest team at the back um, since Ajax in 1995-96. So, you know, they, they are the toughest team to break down. And that's, uh, that's a statistician, statistic fact. Statistic wow. fact. Statistic. When, you're, when you're scoring 100-plus goals a season, it's really impressive that you can also be that tight at the back. And it was interesting yeah. last night, Matt, to see that Manchester City again going without a recognised striker, as it has been for most of the season. Do you think, I mean, you know you've got Aguero, you know you've got Jesus. Nobody's quite sure whether Jesus is of good enough quality to be the main man at Manchester City. Aguero looks like he's coming to the end of his time there. There's links with him taking him to Barcelona and whatnot. But do you need to go and get that superstar striker, that Erling Braut Haaland or someone like that? Because right now, for me, Manchester City look more effective playing this false nine with Gundogan kind of providing the goals and then this really fluid three attacking midfield players behind him. It looks unstoppable at the moment. And I do wonder whether City actually need to invest in that superstar. Well, before the game last night, um, I seen the, the team go out. And last season, if I would have seen us playing without a recognised striker, I would have been panicking. But this season, the, you know, the proof's in the pudding. The way we've been playing without a striker, we've been fair and better off. And like you said, with that fluid front three, it must be a nightmare for any like manager to set up against defensively because you don't know who to mark. You can't you can't say who's going to be playing where because none of them had set position. And I was watching it last night and I just I was imagining. I thought, oh, imagine Messi in this like fluid front three here. Now, if we went and got him next season, you know, it'd be an absolute dream to have him there because we know Messi doesn't really have a set position. He likes to just drift around around, around that front three. Um, but having said that, with a fully fit Sergio, Sergio Aguero in the team. I hate the thought of leaving him out. And there was this thing on Twitter last night where, you know, it was straight after the game and it was when Aguero came off the pitch and apparently he was moaning that um, no one was passing to him. And that just seems to be a thing with City at the moment. Like with every positive we get, there just seems to be a negative coming straight from the media, you know, trying to jump on something. And, you know, maybe Aguero did say that. Maybe he was a bit frustrated that he wasn't getting the ball last night. And there's this thing where obviously Aguero's not been starting and there's been rumblings about, you know, is he going to sign a contract at the end of the season? You know, and that will remain to be seen. If Aguero does go, we do need to sign a striker. And with that, it's going to come a lot of money. City don't really want to deal with Raiola, Haaland's agent. So that might be a, um, that might be a spanner in the works. But I'd love to see him at City. Pictures of him growing up. He's in the City kit and stuff like that. He's been a matches to watch us. You know, it, it just seems meant to be. It seems destined to be that. And he's got that. He's got that cockiness, that arrogance about him. You know, and he's he's so young, and he's got that ruthless, that ruthless streak in him. You know, he's he's just what City need if we're going to be progressing forward without Aguero. He's just what City need. He's going to cost a lot of money, no doubt. But if that's the case, and Aguero does go, then Harlan would be my first choice. I think there's a 
a lot of negativity around City at the moment. And it, it, I think you say it comes from the media. I think it comes from social media. There seems to be a lot of whinging and a lot of bickering at the moment from the fan base. And I don't know why yeah, that City is. Yeah, City Twitter. Yeah, City it, Twitter. It's really weird. I don't know either. I don't know where, how a, a team can be doing so well, yet the fan base can be so negative towards it. And I think Jesus is the perfect example of that. I saw a brilliant stat tweeted last night by our very own Nat Pike, um, who you'll hear often doing the weekend shows on Football Social Daily, about Jesus's stats. He's made 114 starts for Manchester City and in that time been involved with 95 goals. I don't know what involved with means. I guess it means like a key pass or an assist or scoring the goal in, himself. In a lead-up or an assist or a goal, yeah. Yeah, so, that's, yeah. And it's, so seven, 20, 73 goals, 22 assists in 114 starts, which is a really good strike rate. And I know City create a lot of chances, but that for a player who supposedly is underperforming, that's an absolutely brilliant mm strike rate and assist rate so maybe he does offer more than maybe he gets credit for and it is just the perception around him that's the issue there um you, you mentioned john stones and you mentioned uh phil foden so you've got the the barnsley beckenbauer and the stockport iniesta both in the mix there <laughs> Do, i mean matt's nailed his colors to the mast ian when it comes to those two for england i mean the first step for phil foden isn't playing for England. The first step is surely there's there's still calls for him to start every week or at least on a regular basis for Manchester City. Does it feel like it's that time for Pep Guardiola to make him that key first team player? He's been told for three years now that he hasn't been playing him enough. And I think in truth, Pep Guardiola has managed that situation brilliantly. He's kind of filtered him into the first team squad and it has worked really well. But is now the time for Phil Foden to be a key member of that Manchester City team, make him as important as Kevin De Bruyne, play him 70% of the games rather than maybe, I don't know, 50% that he's getting the game time at the moment? I think so. I think, um, you know, he's, he's had that time of being protected by... Uh, Guardiola. There's always been a lot of fuss about his name because he's uh, made his name through the youth ranks, and, and everybody's uh, in football's well aware of of the talent that's there. And I, I guess you don't want to, um, you know. Sometimes I think you can you can get a player in there too too early, and that maybe affects their um, not their mental state from the point of view of you know they can't handle it, but it, it can maybe make them underachieve because they've achieved too early. If you know what I mean, so I think it's a very mm. difficult situation to balance. But I think now, and especially with the um, you know big international tournaments that are coming up over the next few years or so, that now is the is the right time, if not right physically now, but over the next few months towards the back end of this season and leading into next year, um, certainly is is the time that he, he needs to be a a city regular because he's a fantastic player. He's he's gonna be a, a key part of the plans for England, um, and and the only way that he's he's gonna get better is by playing regularly. Because I think if he if he hangs on too long and ends up not getting the the regular games week in week out, then it's it's gonna be a matter of time before one of the one of Man City's rivals are uh, sniffing around offering him um, maybe better terms. But yeah, he's great. And and same with um, same with John Stones. I mean, we've seen with him how he. He's flourished um, since being given regular chances. And, and last night, mm. Guardiola you know, credited that um, Ruben Diaz and, and John Stones are the are the reason that, that, that of, of why they're going unbeaten so much. It, they've just got a sort of rock-solid partnership. And, uh, you know, that's certainly one of the um, the big positives to come out of this this whole year with, uh, with, with Man City. 
He's got to get an England recall for me this week, John Stones. Gareth Southgate announces his England team for the World Cup qualifiers tomorrow. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on Football Social Daily. We're also going to talk about another team that is vying for a quarter-final place in the Champions League. Chelsea play tonight against Atletico Madrid. We'll preview that game next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Champions League action tonight for Chelsea. They play Atletico Madrid. A game which, for me, it's impossible to guess what Thomas Tuchel is going to do in this one, isn't it, Matt? I mean, they're playing Atletico Madrid, one of the best teams in Europe at the moment on form. So far, he's made... This is here. I'm going to chip in with the stats here, boys. 39 changes Thomas Tuchel has made in his starting lineup for Chelsea in just 10 games he's been there. Obviously, there's an element of him settling into the role and trying to work out his best team and his best formations. Is that the case, though? Is he just kind of tinkering and experimenting? Or is this, have we got a new Claudio Ranieri? Have we got a new Tinkerman in charge of Chelsea? I was going to say, yeah, it was uh, it's rather ironic that he's getting called a Tinkerman because it was Ranieri in charge of Chelsea that got that nickname initially, wasn't it? Um, mm. I think he's basically just like what you were saying there, Jim. Um, He's still, obviously, he's new to the team. He's still figuring out his best 11 and how to play and stuff like that. And also, you know, when you've got a, when you've got a decent squad, you know, you utilise it. City have done that so many times. You know, we don't, they don't, they never, they never play like the, 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 a base 11 and stuff like that. Obviously, you have your, your strongest players in the team that you build around, but you also have your squad players that you try and integrate, you know, fitness levels and, you know, um, fatigue and stuff like that may come into it. You know, and they've, they've, they've got some quality players there, Chelsea. I know um, they've got no Mount. No, no Jorginho tonight, but they've still got mm. players that can hurt, you know, like your Pulisic's and your Havertz. You know, they're world-class on their night, you know, and it's um, it's a difficult game tonight. Like you were saying about, you know, both teams not conceding too many goals. Um, you know, Chelsea, they've only con- they conceded two in the last 12, keeping 12, um, 10 clean sheets on it. So that's, you know, it's not, it's not good news for Atletico to hear. Atletico... You know, traditionally defensive side, not really, you know, too potent attacking, but they know how to get a job done. And the way they're going to have to set up tonight, they're going to have to come at Chelsea um, swinging straight away. Obviously, they're on the back of a 1-0 defeat against them. If Atletico score first, it's going to be a really interesting tie because it might just be a, a case of, you know, just like standing off each other and trying to catch each other out on the counter-attack. Um, Simeone is an expert in these type of games. He's... Well, well versed in you know knockout ties. Um, Chelsea have been knocked out of the last sixteen, in the last four attempts. So that may work against them. That may be a little bit of a psychological edge for Atletico Madrid. They might know that and um, and try and try and jump on that if that's in the back of Chelsea players' minds. Um, I do think the whole idea about Atletico being this defensive team is a, it's a little bit of a a false truth, if you like, because they are they are incredibly solid defensively. And Tuchel was saying in his pre-match press conference, it's one of, I think his, the quote is, Atletico is one of the teams to give away the fewest chances in the whole of Europe, so it's important to be patient and keep levels going. So he feels like it's going to be a war of attrition. And they are really strong defensively, but they've added a different level to their game this season where they're much more fluid and much more exciting going forward. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be 
a low scoring game although it, I guess, but you're you're right the the kind of stats do suggest that when you look at atletico's um reluctant score goal to concede goals and chelsea's r- record so far in the premier league it does feel like there could be two immovable objects kind of facing off against each other do you think that will suit the way chelsea play ian the fact that they have got a defensive line to break through or do you think it's going to be a case of do they prefer it when teams come onto them and they can hit them on the break? I don't, I don't know what... It's difficult to tell what best suits Tuchel's game at the moment, I guess. But do you think that'll benefit them or do you think it'll be a negative towards the way they play? I think it's really difficult because we don't really know what the Chelsea team is these days, do we? Because as you say, they're 39 changes <laughs> so far. It's hard to know the the the, the pattern that they're, they're used to because like with, with Man City, we know how they play Chelsea. Depends which, which players he picks, I suppose. Um... I think they do. They do seem to like playing on the break when they get the chance. But again, that but they're really mega defensive, aren't they? And it's that it's that sort of German efficiency that uh, that um, we're probably going to get from 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 a Tuchel team. You know, he's, he's sort of well known for um, uh, being quite hard to creating teams that are quite hard to break down. I don't think it's it's not all going to be gung ho rock and roll football stuff with him, but. Probably like slight, a slightly more attacking version than of a, of a Jose Mourinho kind of approach, um, I suppose. <laughs> if, if that's where it's we're damning at. with faint praise, that uh, well, is. I know, I know, and, <laughs> and, and, and but but that's what it is, isn't it? It's it's a really tough team to break down, but but they're not very dynamic going forward, and they should be, and they should be because they've got you know great um, attacking players. Um, I'm thinking back to the game that I watched most recently, which was the the Leeds match, which was um, you know 90 minutes. None of us are going to get back again, but um, but they, they were quite wasteful in front of goal. Um, and I think that you know, like Kai Havertz and, and so on. I know that there was this stories about him being um, you know not being entirely settled, and and the the, the new signings are being mm. a little bit uh, find it maybe a bit difficult. But maybe the European style of football. Um, playing against a, a Spanish team and, and so on is, is going to is going to be a, a change for them and, and will bring out something that we haven't seen in the Premier League because Premier League teams do play slightly differently, don't they? You know they they are a bit more um, <clears throat> a bit more sort of rough and tumble than perhaps um, maybe what some of the players are used to. So maybe it will just um, allow them to play with a bit more a bit more flair. Do you think it's some? Do you think the kind of the lack of goals, the defensive football, is something that Tuchel's going to have to address at some point? Because he has come into the job, and his job was to steady the ship. But they scored an average of two point one goals a game under Lampard. It's one point one goals a game under Tuchel. So there's a massive drop in that kind of offensive side of the game. And fans are so demanding now that they look at the. Pep Guardiola's at Manchester City. They look at the Jurgen Klopp's at Liverpool and they want this exciting goal-scoring football. They're not happy with 1-0s and 2-1s and 0-0s every week. They want more goals. So is Tuchel going to have to make a change at some point? It might not be this season. It might be that he gets into the summer and goes, well, my job this year when I came in was to firefight and get the best position, get Champions League football potentially for the club. Now it's the summer. Now it's a break. Now Now our job is to entertain. Does it? Does he have to do that, or do you think it's all about results? It's all about sticking with his style. And I don't know enough about him when he was at PSG and when he was playing in Europe, when he was managing in Europe, rather to know whether he is this defensive coach. I didn't think that was the case, but now we're maybe seeing the fruits of it. So, does he need to make changes? Does he need to offer more in terms of the playing style? Uh, well, it's I say it's very different because with with PSG, there's a, there's a there's a school of thought that actually. He overachieved 
some of the some of the staff there believe that he did well with what he had. And when you consider the, play- <laughs> the players that PSG have got, it's um, it's a little mm. bit bizarre. But um, but nonetheless, yeah, I think I think to keep Chelsea fans happy because Chelsea want to get back to winning stuff, don't they? You know, and and you're not going to do that in this league. Uh, in certainly in 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 the English league, if if you're not scoring goals when you're facing teams like Man City and Liverpool, who are who are very attacking minded, you're not going to win the league if you're not scoring goals. If you've got a one point one average, that's not going to win you a, a very much, to be honest. And I think there is probably a bit of pressure on him to. To, to win stuff in the next couple of years, of course there is, and whether that's the Champions League, uh, cup competition, or probably the you know the league, I think they are going to have to have a bit more flair and a bit more excitement about them um, that the Chelsea fans uh, are used to. And of course, it's different now as well because you've got a new breed of Chelsea fans who who know Chelsea for being a, a team who wins. Um, you know, it wasn't always that mm. way, was it? But. As you mentioned earlier, Matt, the challenge for Chelsea tonight, I guess, isn't just the Atletico team that they face. It's also the lack of Jorginho and the lack of Mason Mount in that starting eleven, who have been two of the key players for Chelsea, had really strong seasons, two very different roles they play in that Chelsea team as well. Can Tuchel cope with that? Have they got a big enough squad, enough depth there to cope with those absentees? Who comes in instead? Um, I mean, it's all, all about how they're going to set up, really. Um I think they're they're going to want to kill the game off as early as possible. So he's probably going to just go with his his most attacking eleven possible. There's always the chance that you know Atletico could soak up pressure and get him on the counter attack. But with a game like that, the longer it goes on, and the more Atletico are in it, aren't they? You know, it's like us last night. If we would if we would have um, gone through the game, you know, up to like the 70th, 80th minute, and it was still being. Nil nil, you know. I thought um, Munchen Gladbach could have had that chance to, um, you know, to nick a couple of goals, you know, surprise us. So I think Tuchel's just got to set up with his, his his strongest eleven possible to just to go out and just go and beat Atletico, just go and get him on the night. And this this yeah, this is a, this is a decent stat. Tuchel is actually unbeaten against Spanish clubs, <laughs> so he'll have that he'll have that bit of confidence on his side. You know, he's um, he's never lost against the Spanish side. Tonight might be the night when it happens for the first time, but I can't see it happening. I can I can see them. Um, Playing Giroud up top because we know his his um his goal scoring record in Europe for Chelsea is absolutely phenomenal, you know. And they've still got Pulisic, still got Havertz, even Werner. Werner's been terrible this season in terms of his goal getting, but we all know he's a quality player. We all know that he's he's got that um that about him, you know, that that fox in the box type thing. So yeah, I don't I don't I don't think Chelsea will um have too much trouble tonight if if they they go out and attack Atletico. If they sit back and let Atletico onto him, I think. It could be um, a really difficult game for them, but hopefully not. Hopefully, um, Chelsea put them to the sword relatively early on because I don't want Atletico in the Champions League. I'd rather have <laughs> Chelsea in there, so I, I'd, I'd rather Chelsea go through tonight. They have got the one nil advantage from the first leg as well, which was a goal scored by Oliver Giroud. If he scores tonight, he becomes the oldest player to score in both legs of a Champions League tie at the age of 34 years, 168 days. Who's got the current record? Your start for 10. Who do you think has got that one? Mm, well, uh, <laughs> go on, Ian. I'm going to leave that one to you. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. What was the question again? Say it again, because I, I missed the middle bit. Who is the oldest player to score in both legs of a Champions League knockout tie? Oh, is it... Um... Olic, maybe? You kick yourselves. Zlatan Ibrahimovic. 
Oh, come was, on. That, yeah. yeah. I was thinking because he's, he's back, isn't he? He's yeah, back. He, well, yeah, he's just signed a new contract. And he's taken himself out of international retirement and apparently about to sign a new contract to AC Milan as well. But he scored the goal for PSG yeah. against Chelsea in 2015 at the age of 34 years and 158 days. I'll tell you what, though. I also found out, doing a little bit of research for today's show, the secret of Thomas Tuchel's success at Chelsea. Do you want to know what it is? Go on. Small balls. <laughs> it's the time of year. Yeah, he's been getting the team to train with small balls in training, and that's apparently part of uh, his system and part of his success. Right, AQAs hey, next. Works. We're going to be out. Yeah, yeah. Who knew it? Who knew small balls are better than big ones? Right, we're going to talk AQAs next, answering some of your questions that are coming via social media. There's a real mixed bag today. We'll do it next to wrap up today's Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. AQA on a Wednesday. Any question answered? I've got three questions that are coming via social media. Keep them coming. We love answering your questions. Every single Tuesday, you'll probably see a post on our social media channels, which you can find on Facebook. Just search Sports Social. You can find us on Twitter, The Sports Social, on Instagram as well, Sports Social Official. All those places you can submit your questions. We'll get through them on a Wednesday. First question comes from Sofa Sundays on Twitter, who said, What are your thoughts on Newcastle? having the worst run in with fixtures and could be relegated by the Sheffield United game if Bruce is left in charge. It's an interesting one, this one, Matt, but and we know from Marley, who is our resident Newcastle fan, that he's starting to get a little bit nervous and Newcastle have got a terrible run between now and the end of the season. They've got some real tough fixtures. Right, well, rightly so. We should be nervous, Marley. Um as much as I love listening to his rants about Steve Bruce and cabbages and stuff like that and um, on the podcast, I do sympathise, but is is pressing the panic button gonna gonna get them out of trouble? It's you know, to catch twenty two. If 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 they keep Steve Bruce and keeps him up, you know, he's you know, they've done the right thing, but if they don't keep if they um, they don't keep him and they still go down, you know, then they've done the wrong thing as well. So I don't know. Still know what difference it would yeah. make at this stage, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's almost too it. late. If they were going to pull the trigger, they kind of should have done it at Christmas. Yeah, it's like Chris Wilder. Like, why? Obviously, it was by mutual consent. Obviously, Chris Wilder had his reasons why he wanted to go. You know, but I think that if you know, if there's no if there's no problems behind the scenes with the um, the owners and um, and the manager, and every, everything should just be left as it is. You know, if if it if they do get relegated, Steve Bruce has, has got teams out of the championship before. I don't think he'll get um, a contract extension at Newcastle, to be honest. But if if um, they don't get rid of him and he keeps him up, then fantastic. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe he's earned that right to get another crack at it, and maybe he should be given another transfer window. To get their um, to get the squad up to up to scratch, and maybe I just want him to to stay, maybe because I just want to keep hearing Marley have a go at him on on a weekly basis. <laughs> maybe that's the case. Maybe that's just me um, being a little bit sadistic in that way towards Newcastle. Oh, but I, I actually like Steve Bruce as as as, as not just the, as a, as a manager. As, he comes across really well, and he's softly spoken and stuff. Like I always feel a little bit sorry for him when he gets bashed by Newcastle fans. The weird thing is, I can't see a scenario where he gets sacked at the moment. I don't no. think he'll get sacked if they get relegated because, actually, he's probably better suited to the Championship yeah. in terms of bringing teams up. And mm. I don't think, in the Premier League, it doesn't seem like Mike Ashley's got an appetite to sack him. But if, if we look at the fixtures, this is what the question was about, the fixtures that Newcastle have coming up between now and the end of the season. Currently on 
is it 28 or 29 points? It is 28 points they're on at the moment. So probably need nine points to be safe, I reckon. That is going to be touch and go, the nine points. Nine, ten points you need. The games they've got, Brighton they've got in the next game, March Must the 20th. Win. Yeah, very much so. Then they play Tottenham. Then they play Burnley. Then West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester City, Manchester United... Sheffield United and Fulham. Man City. Manchester City, is it? Sorry. It, I mean, yeah. that is a torrid run-in. They could be relegated before they even get to the Sheffield United game. Those last two against Fulham and Sheffield United are going to be absolutely key in terms of survival. That Fulham game could be a straight shootout for survival. Yeah, but can you see them that. getting yeah. those nine points in between, in those games, in that little run? Can they pick up the points they need to survive? I don't have the actual numbers uh, to hand, but I did a little bit of um, um, a little bit of a, a look as to how many points they've they've actually um, you know their average points, their average wins so far, and sort of try and work that out through the season. But that wasn't taking into account who they've got to play because, and I think that they would just about escape it based on that. But that's not factoring in that they've got to play all the teams around them, and so that's going to really have an effect isn't it on on mm. where they're going to probably end up so i do fancy them to go down because they've got a mixture it's that deadly mixture of playing the teams immediately around you who are all fighting for their lives and have got more fight than newcastle have got and then the other games are against the very top teams yeah. uh you know such as arsenal tottenham man city leicester city they've all got stuff to to play for and and, and trying to get into europe or you know but they're all they're all better teams as well man city playing man city three games from the end that that could be the the match that wraps it up for them if they haven't already wrapped the title up and they're playing with some kind of gay abandon it's it's an absolute nightmare set of fixtures and it's an what it also is is utterly embarrassing for newcastle to be even in this conversation because you look at what they've got you look at the facilities they've got, the stadium they've got, the fan base they've got. Granted, they're not allowed in at the minute, and and it's um you know it's a one club city really because nobody really in Newcastle supports Sunderland, and vice versa. You know if you're from that area, from that postcode, if you've got an NE postcode, you're a Newcastle fan more often than not. That's how it works, and it's ridiculous that they're in this situation, and that's down to Mike Ashley completely and utterly buying players trying to get stuff on the cheap trying to make it work trying to find you know the next new talent that doesn't work out to be that way and it's 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 a failure of um recruitment of of recruiting young talent and nurturing them through it's a failure of of getting decent players in whoever's going out spotting the players in the first place because they haven't lived up to expectation they've they've got all the foundations and it's to see a club like that end up in the championship and who knows even worse because something like one in six relegated teams goes through the leagues down to the next level as well you know it's a possibility it could well happen you know all about that don't you being a Leeds fan Ian you know all about that don't you what can happen <laughs> yeah and, and City but City yeah, did yeah, it yeah we did we did yeah exactly City did it you know there's 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 plenty of teams that have that have that have gone we're too big to go down and have gone down. Newcastle have done it even within the last ten years. So, you know, it's it's ridiculous that they find and it and it just comes down to arrogance, I think. And I know Marley's gone on about it, but it is arrogance, it is arrogance. Uh and it was the same when Sunderland went down, they thought they wouldn't go down, they did. And now look how hard it is to get out of it. It's um it's bonkers and it's just 
There's no need for it. It's a fail- <laughs> That's the thing. It's, a failure it's, not, of ambition it's not that they don't well, have the resources. It's just that they can't be asked. Yeah, it's like Mike Ashley's clearly not got ambition that matches the fans' ambition for that football club. He's yeah. there to make money. He's a businessman. Yeah. He wanted to make money out of it. And I, I kind of think Newcastle fans for a few years, I think, have probably moaned about Ashley as an owner unjustly from my opinion in terms of the situation that football has found itself in at clubs up and down the country it could have been a lot worse than Mike Ashley and I kind of got bored of hearing the whole sleeping giants this is a team with potential situation but this I mean they should never ever be in a situation that's anywhere close to being relegated and like you say if Mike Ashley continues to hold on to that football club because he's set a price for selling it that is astronomical and unachievable, then I don't know what the future is because that price is only going to go down if they get relegated. The attractiveness of that football club gets less and there is a real risk that they could continue to slip down the leagues. It's a real mess for Newcastle. I do fear for them if they do get relegated. Um, Let's move on to the next question, though. Chris W wants to talk Jordan Pickford, who we now know is out of the World Cup qualifiers next week. He picked up an oblique abdominal muscle injury against Burnley at the weekend. His question is, is that a blessing in disguise for England? Which feels a little bit mean, (laughs) Matt, doesn't it? Yeah, he, um, he gets ripped a little bit on um, social media, like Papa Domris, T-Rex arms and stuff like that, Jordan Pickford. I, you know what? <laughs> no, seriously, no, I do see it. It's a lethal combination, that, yeah, Papa Domris and T-Rex arms. Yeah, small arms and weak arms. Yeah, it's not, it's not, really, um, it's not really a good combination. But no, he, he has made a few clangers. Let's be real, Jordan Pickford. He has made a re- But I don't think he's a bad goalkeeper. I just think he's still got a lot of learning to do. And I still think he's... He's got this. Um, he's got this like sort of youthful like arrogance about him, like you know. And and I've seen it with Joe Hart a few times. You know, he'd get him get himself all pumped up in the in the tunnel and stuff like that, and he'd give the opposition players a little bit of stick, mm. and then he'd go and make a clangor, and it'd come back and bite him on the ass. He's you know with goalkeepers, you see a lot of goalkeepers they get better with age, and I think that'll be the the case with Jordan Pickford. And um, we've still got some even without Jordan Pickford in the team, we've still got some decent keepers like Nick Pope. Tommy and you know, um, but Dean, and Dean Henderson as well. But Dean Henderson, he hasn't really played enough for Man United to suggest that he could be starting for England. So we've made had a few games recently. He's yeah, recently the starting lineup. He has, with, yeah, with the hair's maternity leave. And yeah, yeah, he has a little bit, and he's, he's not, he's not, he's not done bad, is he? Like, he's, he's not set the world on fire, has he? But he's not, he's not done bad. He's probably done the job that's been asked of him and, and done it to a good degree. But for me, it'd be Nick Pope. If um, if anyone's going to start ahead of Pitford, I, I, I like Nick Pope. I think he's a decent, solid keeper. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, Jordan Pitford, like I said, he does get ripped a lot on social media. Um, but maybe he's brought that on himself a little bit. And with age, like I said, with goalkeepers, they do tend to get better with age. I don't think we're going to see any massive surprises in net against San Marino, Albania and Poland. They're the games that are coming up for no. England in the World Cup qualifiers. As you say, we've got two decent options. We've got Nick Pope and Dean Henderson. They are probably the backup keepers to Pickford. And I think when Pickford comes back from injury, no matter what those players do in the World Cup qualifiers, he will be the number one keeper at the European Championships because Gareth Southgate just likes him. But with these England qualifiers coming up, Ian, do you think there'll be any surprises in there? How does Southgate treat it? Because it's a weird scenario that we're playing World Cup qualifiers just before the European Championships. So uh, do these World Cup qualifiers kind of work as warm-ups for the Euros? Do they, is it an opp- opportunity for Southgate to test players out? Or is it an opportunity for him to kind of play 
the formation of the system that he will play in the Euros? Or would you like to see him maybe experimenting with a few different players, a few fringe players, and giving the players that will play at the Euros a bit of a rest? Because at the moment they're in the middle of this hugely relentless domestic season. How does he play it if he's England manager? He's got a few options there. What does he do? I think... um... It's it's going to be a, an opportunity just to try out a few a few options, I think, because he's also got his hands slightly tied because of injuries. And we mentioned uh, Jordan Pickford being one, so he can't necessarily go with what, what we assume would be his first choice uh, due to the amount of experience he's currently got. But there's there's other players um, unavailable to him as well. Um, James Madison, Jack Grealish, Harvey Barnes, Jaden Sancho. Um, they're either doubtful or unavailable, um, which which could open the door to people like Jesse Lingard, for example, who's been having a, a decent time at, at West Ham and, and maybe some of the other um, you know newer players. We're not sure who he's going to select, obviously, just yet. But um, I think it's going to be an opportunity to try out some of the fringe players just because he's 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 got limited options um even if you know even if we wanted to play a, a first choice team he can't so i think it is just going to be one of those get togethers um with a few matches thrown in they're not exactly the most testing of uh, of of matches either are they um in in the scheme of things no, uh, but we get the final team, so we'll get the announcement as to who makes the squad tomorrow. We'll cover that on Football Social Daily on tomorrow's podcast. Click subscribe so you get that as soon as it's ready. Final question comes from Helen, and this is a bit of a focus on next season. We're not even done with this season. We're already looking ahead to next season. Helen says, who's going to be in contention for the Premier League title next year? Can Liverpool recover or Chelsea build or a City going to walk it again? I'll let Matt finish on this one. So you can start, Ian. I mean, who is who's who's the who's in the ascendance in the Premier League at the moment? I guess because it always happens when you see a team absolutely dominate like City have done this season. It's very difficult to see other teams catching up, isn't it? You assume they're going to do it again and again. But as we've seen from Liverpool this season, they were dominant last season and they just completely fallen away this season, largely due to injuries. But you never know what's going to happen. So who do you think? Who would be your pick for next season? Is it going to be City again? Is it going to be someone else? Well, let's assume that it's going to be a more normal season, first of all, next season. There's going to be fans in the ground, if not full. We're going to have you know, potentially uh, thousands of people in a ground, which, which may sort of level things up slightly. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Who would be the pick for next season? Well... I do find I think Chelsea will get it together. I think Tuchel is 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 known as being a you know he is a good coach. It's not like he's a fluke. It's not that he's just come from PSG. Therefore, he must be a good coach. He you know he's at Borussia Dortmund. He's he is a good coach. So he needs time to get his act together. Probably in the same way as Klopp needed a couple of years to to get things bedded in. So I think it'll be exciting to see what Chelsea do. So I think we'll have a stronger Chelsea. Um, Man United, I think, um, if they continue to build, you know, they've they've started to get the wind in their sails. And um, what about somebody from outside the, uh, you know, I think Arsenal to get back up towards the top four as well. I think they're going to be stronger too. So hard to pick who'll win it, but I do fancy some of the old they're classics. Not, they're not going to be... be competing for the league, though, are they, Arsenal? Surely, surely you're not back. Surely you're not backing Arsenal to compete for the Premier League next season. I'm, surely I'm, not, Ian. I'm, 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 I'm saying that the, 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 I'm fancying them to to get back up towards the top four. Um, and so, yeah, why? What, you know, who knows after that? But yeah, I think they're going to be stronger, get their act together. Finally, who knows? Stranger things have happened. It's <laughs> a bold prediction. What about you, then, Matt? Can you see City waltzing their way to another title next season? I mean, we're assuming they're winning this title. 
No, I'm, I'm not going to say we're going to waltz it because we don't know what's going to happen next season. But we're going to improve in the summer. It's without a doubt. You know, Pep isn't going to rest on his laurels after winning um, you know, his, um, his third Premier League. He ain't going to rest on that. He's going to want to build his squad. Klopp at Liverpool, let's assume that he's still there. Um, he's going to want to come back with a vengeance. He's going to want to get Liverpool back up there again because Liverpool might not even make the top four this season at this rate, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. are they going to attract the players that they need you know, to get a title challenge going? Because we all know Champions League football attracts the biggest stars. If Liverpool don't make the top four, they could find it difficult. Chelsea will definitely be up there without a doubt. I, I think with Tuchel being in charge now, um, Abramovich is going to give him some money to spend and um, he's going to build um, a squad around what he sees. Um even like Leicester, like, you know, people don't talk about Leicester enough for me. They're in the Premier League, you know, they're, they're still up there, you know, fighting for second place with Man United. Brendan Rodgers is a fantastic manager and he's got a great squad there. Why can't he get a, a decent budget together in the, the transfer window and improve again? Say they get Champions League football, they're going to they're gonna attract some really decent players. And let's let, let's say that they, they, they do well next season. Let's, let's say that they make a, a title challenge of it. You know, I, I, that wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't surprise mm. me at all. Leicester are really, really underrated and really, really overlooked as a team at the moment. Arsenal, they're a, they're a, they're a, they're a big club, and you know, traditionally in the Premier League, they've, they've, they've challenged for titles. But I just don't, I don't think it next season will be their season. I think top four, like Ian was saying, will be their, would be their target. Um, I don't, I can't, I can't see them going for a, for a league for a league title. Um, Man United, you know. Fun, you know, got, got a massive, you know, budget, and um, they've already got a decent squad there. They're going to want to improve, so it's going to it's going to be it's going to be an interesting race next season for me. I don't, I, again, I can't see, I can't see who's going to win it because you know I'm I'm not Mystic Megan. I ain't got a crystal ball in front of me. Obviously, I, I want it to be Man City, and I want to absolutely romp it and get hundred and odd points, and everyone moan about football being ruined on social media. That would be the ideal scenario for me that we're ruining football. But yeah, it will remain to be seen. But if I'm going to say something now, if you're going to um, ask me who's going to win the Premier League next season, I'm just going to go with Man City. Sack it. I'm going to put it out there now. I, th- I think if, if Man City don't um, win it, um, win the Champions League this year, I can see that um, Pep might um, be more preferential to give preferential treatment to the Champions League next year because he said in his press conference yesterday that um, that when he when he first came to Man City, you know, it was all all the talk was you need to win the Champions League. There's there's clearly mm. some sort of pressure in there or something in his mind that that tells me he's, he's got to win the Champions League. It, I, I don't think he's going to rest until he does. So if, I can see if they don't win it this year for whatever reason, I think next year it's going to be like we've got to crack the Champions League at all costs. But that Champions League pressure comes in now, doesn't it, at this stage in the season, rather than from yeah. the off. So, I mean, City, as the City have done this year, they can have it wrapped up. They can have the league title wrapped up by the time the Champions League is even a consideration because with the squad they've got and the depth they've got, they're going to get through the group stages. They're going to get through the early knockouts. It's when you get to this stage, when you get to the last 16 and the quarterfinals, that it really becomes a focus and a distraction rather than something that they need to look at from the off. No, I think Chelsea will be the ones, for me, they'll be the ones to watch last season. I know I backed them this season and was proved spectacularly wrong, but I think they did good business last summer. I think they've built a basis of a very good team. Lampard didn't get the best out of that team, but it looks like Thomas Tuchel is currently getting a good a song out of them and will continue to do so it'll be interesting to see how he develops that and how much investment they put in this in the summer but as you say Matt we know Abramovich 
when he's engaged, is quite happy to put his hand in his pocket. So it'll be, I think they'll be there or thereabouts. For yeah. me, it's going to be City, Chelsea, United competing next season. I think Liverpool, and I hate to say it, Liverpool fans, I'm not sure they will get back at it because that is a team that, from the outside looking in, needs a bit of investment. And Liverpool's board have been very clear that they don't want to put a load of money into that club. So whether they can keep pace or not remains to be seen. So that's it for Football Social Daily today. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for talking about football, Ian and Matt. Well, thank you for asking us to talk about it. (laughs) You're very welcome. Make sure you click subscribe so you get tomorrow's podcast. It will be out around lunchtime. And if you want to find the latest news on your team, you can head to sport-social.co.uk where you will also find the brand new Sport Social Podcast Network, our collection of some of the best sporting podcasts around, including our very own Ian Brennan, who has his Humans of Speedway podcast. If you're into your speedway, yeah, baby. you can go and listen to that there. And Matt, who doesn't have a podcast on there yet, Matt, <laughs> we wait. We wait with bated breath. Uh, that is it for today's show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sports Social. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.